Well, let's uh, read the Home Ranch. It's been a little while since I recorded one of those. So it is by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, initially copyright 1956. We're going to read chapter 7. Father, I give you thanks that in all the relationships of life, we see the Trinity uh, made visible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the presence of relationships here on this earth, especially the marriages, and then the offspring. And Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom, even as we hear this chapter, to uh, to glorify you with what we think about. We pray because of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This chapter 7 is Long-Tailed Wildcats. <clears throat> Post-cutting went better for me the second day than the first, but it was rough for Sid. We took three wagons, and Tom teamed up with Ned, so Sid had to work with Hank. At breakfast, Mr. Bachelet told us to make an early start because he'd have some work for us when we got back. When when we reached Boot Heel, I didn't bother with any felling, but waited for Zeb to drop a tree, then went right to work on the trimming. The practice I'd had the day before helped, and I was able to keep up with him as he felled, cut the trees into posts, and loaded them. We were working a couple of hundred yards from the others, but all morning I could hear Hank rowing and hollering at Sid. By noon, we had our wagon piled high. Tom and Ned were about half loaded, but Hank and Sid didn't have more than a dozen posts on theirs. After we'd eaten, Zeb helped Hank and Sid, so I went to work with Tom and Ned. With what Father had taught me and what I'd learned from watching Zeb, I could make a tree fall fairly near where I wanted it to. As soon as Tom and Ned found it out... They let me do the felling and cut the posts while they did the trimming and loading. It worked out pretty well, and I was kind of proud that I'd found something I could do better than most full-grown cow hands. The sun was still high when we reached the home ranch, but I didn't do anything to be proud of after we got there. As soon as we had the teams unharnessed, Mr. Bachelet called, You boys can leave the unload until morning and saddle up. We got 50 head of stock to cut and sort this afternoon. Better toss your saddle on clay, little britches, and work the kinks out of him. I don't think I worked many kinks out of clay, but he worked plenty of them into me. Having the only cutting horse on a place in my string, <clears throat> it was my job to separate each animal from the herd as Mr. Bachelet called for it. I'd seen plenty of cattle cutting, but had never been the one to do it or paid much attention to the way it was done. As soon as Mr. Bachelet pointed out the first calf he wanted, I rode clay straight at him planning to guide him around it and drive it out of the herd. Until he found which calf we were after, I was the boss. But from there on, I was lucky to stay in the saddle. Clay could sense an animal's move before I could see it. And regardless of which way I tried to guide him, he dodged with the calf. He did it so lightning fast that before I could set myself, the saddle would be jerked out from under me. Twice I got spilled completely and had to pick myself up while Clay took the right calf out of the herd alone. <laughs> After the second tumble, Mr. Bachelet called, You're trying too hard. Leave him have his head as soon as he knows which one you want, and keep a hold to the horn. He don't need help from nobody. I'd always thought it was a disgrace to grab the horn, or to let a horse do whatever he wanted to. But it was sure but it was sure that Clay didn't need any help from me, and just as sure that I'd have to hang on to the horn if I was gonna stay with him. After that I didn't fall all all the way off again. But I was close to it 40 times and had a lot of trouble making Clay take the right calf out of the herd. Hank kept yelling at me all afternoon. And three or four times, Mr. Bachelet called, take it easy, take it easy. Don't rush. Don't try to rush him. 
but the tone, by the tone of his voice, I knew he thought I was just about hopeless. When the job was finally done, I was so ashamed of myself that I wanted to crawl off and hide, and I felt as if I'd been run through a thrashing machine. <laughs> Being ashamed of the bad job I'd done riding clay got me into plenty of trouble. Right in the middle of supper, Hank began to make fun of me for the way I'd fallen off a tame old cow pony and telling me how he used to catch and ride wild broncos when he was my age. If I hadn't been so tired and ashamed of myself, it wouldn't have bothered me. But, uh, but that night, I couldn't help boiling over. Why don't you brag about your post hacking? I snapped at him. I'll bet I can cut twice as many posts as you can any day. You didn't cut no posts, Hank shouted. Zeb cut him. Bye, doggies. If I ain't cut two posts to your one, I'll... Why, when I was... Mr. Bachelor thumped the table hard and said, That's enough. You team up with Zeb tomorrow, Sid, and let these two wildcats find out who's got the longest tail. Well, next morning I was up before the sun, took my axe to the forge, ground the cutting edge to a long, slim bevel, and honed it carefully. And then I wrapped it in a gunny sack so it wouldn't get nicked and put it in Hank's wagon. He was the last to come in for breakfast, and he was bent over with one hand on the smallest back. By doggies, he sort of whined. There's a cloudburst of rain a-coming afore noontime. The way this here misery gets into my backbone, I can always tell it. Don't reckon we dast venture into them mountains till it's over. Water'll come roaring down them canyons, forty foot deep. A few clouds drifting in from the north, Mr. Batchelor said, but I don't reckon we'll get more than a drizzle of rain. Bye, doggies, not the way my back's feeling, Hank groaned. This here cloudburst misery I got. Couldn't be no more swing an axe or lift a post today than I could fly. <clears throat> Mr. Batchelor didn't look up, but said, That's enough belly aching. You're going to cut posts with a kid, like it or not. If you want to limber up while the boys unload, you can take the turn back yearlings out to the calf pasture. Way me back's kicking up. I don't know if I can make it or not, but I'll do the best I can, Hank whined. <clears throat> he was still at the table when the rest of us went out, and we were pretty well started on the unloading when he hobbled to the corral, caught a horse, and saddled it. He was still walking bent over and made three tries before he pulled himself up into the saddle. But the horse he'd caught was one of his new string. It took a half dozen crow hops as soon as Hank was in the saddle, and he rode out. And he rode them out with his back as limber as a buggy whip. Then he saw us watching him, and he began to cuss and rub his back as he rode out of sight. Hank hadn't come back from the pasture when the other two teams drove off to the mountains, so I went to the crowds and was scratching Lady's forehead when Hazel and Kenny rode up to the gate. She was on a nice little pinto, and he was bareback on a sleepy-looking old donkey. <clears throat> Ever since Sunday, I'd been wanting to see Hazel and ask her why she'd tricked me into picking clay. But she didn't give me a chance. <clears throat> Before I opened my mouth, she taunted, Well, smarty, didn't I tell you you'd be sorry for picking Blue Boy? I seen you when he run away with you on a Monday morning. You looked like he was going to you looked like he was going to dump you off again every minute. I didn't like that again business. And besides, I didn't want her to think she could act as if I were just a little boy, so I said well, I haven't seen anything to be sorry about yet. And if you saw him running away, you must have seen me bringing him back. I didn't look very much as if I was falling off then, did I? Before she could answer, Kenny piped up. Betcha my life you can't ride Jack. That old jackass, I asked him. Betcha my life you can't ride him like he is. It was bad enough to have Hazel picking on me, and Kenny made me kind of peeved. I don't care how he is, I told him. I'll bet I can ride him backwards from here to Castle Rock. <clears throat> Both of them began snickering, and Kenny slid off and passed me the reins. 
I didn't even bother to put them uh, around the donkey's neck, but hopped and swung a leg over. So I was sitting on him backwards. I expected him to make a few crow hops, but he didn't. He just stood still, trying to kick the clouds out of the sky, and I began to slip. As far as Jack's kicking was concerned, any little girl could have ridden him, but he'd shed his winter fur, and his back was as slippery as a wet bottle. With every kick, I slipped a few inches farther, and it wasn't long before my behind was almost down to his ears. Then all he had to do was twist his neck and lay me on the ground. That's where I was when Mr. Batchelor came to the corner of the crowd and called, Better saddle up and go see where Hank's at. Take the north trail along the foothills, and you can't miss him. <clears throat> I was glad of any excuse to get away from Hazel and Kenny, but it was only by luck that I found Hank. I'd ridden nearly to the north end of the ranch when I saw a wisp of smoke rising from a plum thicket, and Hank and his horse were hidden inside it. He was sitting cross-legged on the ground, smoking his pipe and whittling. When I surprised him, he said his back hurt so much he had to stop to rest and couldn't get back in the saddle without help. Hank moaned and groaned all the way back to the crowd, but he didn't do much of it after we got there. <clears throat> Mr. Bachelor was waiting by the gate, and as soon as Hank let out one groan, he snapped, That'll be enough. You've ducked this kid all you're going to. Now get on that wagon and head for the mountains. If you're not back with a full load of posts by sundown, I won't keep you around here. <clears throat> Hank climbed down to surprise a spider, pulled off his saddle, and hurried away toward the wagon, calling back, Don't you have no fear, Batch? Me and the kid will fetch you and all the horses can haul. As I started to follow, Mr. Bachelor caught me by the shoulder and said, Now don't you go swinging an axe like you're killing snakes. And don't go busting a gut lifting. You got plenty of time between now and sundown. Then he turned away and went in, went in to catch up his horse. If anybody had heard me scolded the way Hank had been, I could hardly have looked at him. But it didn't seem to bother Hank a bit. All the way to the mountains, he talked like a magpie with a split tongue, bragging about the things he'd done when he was my age. After the first mile, I began thinking about Zeb and Pike's Peak and Blue Boy and Clay, and only heard Hank as if I'd heard a flock of geese gabbling. With all his talking and bragging, I think Hank was worried about getting a load of posts back to the home ranch by sunset. He didn't let the horses stop for a single breather and kept them trotting whenever the hills weren't too steep. At the lower end of the boot hill, a narrow side canyon led off to the north. There was no roadway up it, but the dry creek bed was fairly wide and cobbled with stones the size of muskmelons. Each time we'd passed it, I noticed a thick stand of tall firs along the canyon walls. I was half dreaming when we reached the mouth of the side canyon and nearly fell off the seat when Hank suddenly turned into it. Bye, doggies, he shouted. I'm a-going to show them how to fetch a load of posts quicker and you can say, scat my cat. Ain't no sense of going up the boot heel where the good trees is all took out. I know this here country like I know the palm of my own hand, and I know where the best post trees is at. Why, when I was here, Mr. Bachelor told Ned we were to take them out of Boot Heel, I said, and I don't think he'd like it if we... You leave me to do the thinking, kid, Hank shouted. You'll just have both hands full and your little britches to hold up just a doing your end of the post hacking. There was no sense in my trying to change his mind. And I wasn't big enough to make him do anything he didn't want to do. So I kept my mouth shut. The canyon twisted and wound around, twisted and wound around in the shape of a great question mark. And the farther we went, the narrower and rougher the creek bed grew. The first good stand of firs was above a high ledge. The second on a mountain too steep uh, to climb. And the third behind an aspen thicket. I think we'd driven about five miles before we came to any good post trees that could be gotten out. 
There, by doggies, how's them for post trees, Hank shouted and passed the reins to me. You turn the wagon around while I go knocking some of them down. The wagon was hard to turn around in the narrow creek bed, and before I had it around, Hank had stripped off his jumper, grabbed an axe, and was hacking at a big tree about a 100 feet up the mountainside. Leave him be! Leave him be! I yelled when I started to unhitch. We ain't got time to mess with no horses. Ain't no grass room, no how. I should have had sense enough to move the team farther down the creek bed and to unhook the traces, but I lost my temper when Hank began yelling at me. Then you better quit hacking at this side of that tree, I yelled back. It'll nearly hit him if it falls this way. You leave me to do the thinking, Hank hollered, but moved around and began hacking on the uphill side of the tree. Then, when I went to get my axe, I found that he'd taken it and left me his dull one. I grabbed it up and jumped off the wagon and shouted, You've got my axe. It was wrapped in a gunny sack. You ain't got no axe, he yelled back. The both of them belongs to Batch, don't they? Now get on up here and go to the limit out. I got this tree almost down and ready. I never stopped to think that all the axes belonged to Mr. Batchelet and that I didn't have any more claim to one than to another. If I had, I'd have been grinding the other axe instead of being kicked out off by Kenny's burrow. I was standing thinking about where about it when there was a crash above me, and I looked up to see Hank's tree toppled sideways and hang in the branches of the tree next to it. The axe Hank had left me was too dull to work with and had four big nicks in the edge, so I ground it into half-decent shape on a smooth stone beside the wagon. When I'd finished, Hank had hacked off four more trees, and they'd all fallen partway, crisscrossing each other. I'd stopped to look at the mess when he yelled at me, Don't stand a gawking! Get them trees limbed out and cut the post length. Can't you see I'm way out ahead of you? Yes, I can see, I told him, but I'll cut my own post and you can cut yours. Then I went farther along the stand, found some trees the right size for posts, took off my jumper, and went to work. I tried to do it as near the way Zeb did as I could. Before I cut into a tree, I planned just where I wanted it to fall, and when it was down, I trimmed it, cut it in the posts, and carried them to the wagon. As I worked, I heard several more crashes, ringing after ring of the axe against stone, and a lot of cussing up where Hank was working. I had my fourth tree down and was cutting it in post lengths when, from right behind me, Hank shouted, Getting pretty daggum big for them little britches of yours, ain't you? Get down over there and go to trimming out them trees I chopped down for I have to lay a hand on you. I knew Hank was bluffing and he didn't scare me a bit. I'm not going to help you and you're not going to lay a hand on me, I told him. You took the best axe and now you can cut your own post. This is supposed to be a race. Hank went grumbling back, and though I could hear him cussing once in a while, he didn't bother me again for three or four hours. He hadn't taken a single post down to the wagon, and each time I took mine down, I glanced up to see how he was doing. He was still hacking away at standing trees, but every one he'd cut had fallen crossways and hung up in the tree branches. I could have gone up and showed him how to make them fall the right way, but I was still peeved about his taking my sharp axe and wouldn't do it. Though we hadn't stopped to eat and the sky was overcast, I couldn't tell the time. I guessed it to be about four o'clock when I started to fell the tree that would finish my load, half of the load. As it toppled straight toward the creek bed, I jumped back and found Hank standing behind me. By doggies, didn't I tell Batch? He shouted. We're going to get the daggummest cloudburst ever you've seen. Look how them clouds is a setting in. We'd best to hightail it out in here before we get cast in a flood and drowned. I stood Max down and stepped out where I could see the sky better. The clouds had become dark, and I was pretty sure we'd get rain, but not a cloudburst, so I said, It's all right to go if you want to, but Mr. Bachelor will know by the axe marks that I cut every post on the load. Reckon we'll might as well leave it leave stick it out a while longer, Hank said, and started back with his with an axe over his shoulder. 
When I went to pick up mine, I found that he traded with me again. He left me the one I ground so carefully that morning, but the edge was nicked and scalloped till it looked like the crust on a piece of pumpkin pie. There was no sense in trying to make Hank trade back and trying to use the ruined axe. So I went over to grind it on the rock beside the wagon. I might have been sitting there 15 minutes when the horses suddenly snorted and plunged away. With the, post, with the wagon bouncing, slewing and spilling off all the posts I loaded, a moment later, the tr top of a tree whipped down where the wagon had stood. As the team raced away down the creek bed, Hank came yelling at me, blaming me for scaring the horses. I knew he'd found out from watching me how to drop a tree where he wanted it and had purposely felled that one so it would frighten the horses. When I yelled back and told him so, he quieted down and said pleasantly, Ain't no sense of us a squabbling about it. I reckon we best cut across the ridge and get home before that cloudburst sets in. I know these here mountains like the palm of my own hand. Taint more than seven, eight miles away the crow flies. Isn't it best to go back the way we came, I asked. If we found the team, we could finish out the load by sunset. No, by doggies, Hank shouted. I don't aim to get catched in no Dadburn Canyon in a cloudburst. And I don't aim to get catched in these here mountains after dark with no gun. There's a mess of bears hereabouts, and there ain't no telling when a mountain lion will spring out on you. There's nothing to, for me to do but pick up my jumper and axe and follow him as he led off up the mountainside.